Welcome to the Richard Blackby Leadership Podcast, helping people take their leadership to the next level. Brought to you by Blackby Ministries International. Welcome back to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. Richard, so glad you could join us. Well, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Anytime, anytime. All right, so there's a lot of talk, and obviously this is a leadership podcast. There's a lot of talk about leadership, a lot of emphasis on leadership. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants the next leadership book and, and to grow as a leader, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, it seems like administration and management are the forgotten stepchild in this leadership process. Mm-hmm. So could you maybe tell us what's the difference between management and leadership? Yeah, and depending on the book you you read, especially if you read a book back in, say, the 60s, 50s, management, leadership would basically be considered the same thing. Uh, but uh, Warren Bennis, one of the leadership gurus, I think perhaps he kind of coined the phrase that leaders do the right things whereas managers do things right. And so the leader is in charge to make sure of the vision of the organization and that the, the organization's going in the right direction, it's doing the right things, whereas a manager worries more about costs and procedures and personnel. And so you may have, uh, I know when I was a seminary president, I had an academic dean who essentially managed the academic programs and the and issues with students and scheduling classes and and uh, making sure that we were accredited and we had all the right forms filled out. There there were leadership uh, roles as well, but but primarily he came to make sure that he managed the academic program well. I had a librarian that was a manager. She managed the library. Uh, you know, I, I had a financial uh, VP that managed all the the funds. And now when they would come to a leadership meeting with me, of course, they really focused primarily on their area. So my manager of the finances wanted to make sure that books balanced and that we had plenty of capital and that the audit was scheduled and done properly. And we had the latest the software programs that could account for our money. But I was the one who had to figure out what to do with that money and mm-hmm. where to go with that money, how to raise the money. I had the big picture and the, the direction involved. And each of my managers would come to me, and I trusted that they would give a good oversight to their area of responsibility. But they tended to be a little bit more focused on their area and their issues. As a leader, I had to have the big picture in, in mind. I had to not just be driven by simply... Uh, what's the financial issues we're facing right now, but where do we need to get to as an institution? So so there is some leadership that will be exercised, I think, at a- every level. But if I were just to kind of generalize things, I I'd prob- probably would use Bennis's description and say, the, the leader makes sure that you're doing the right things, but the manager, when they're given a responsibility, they make sure it's done well. And so those are probably the two differences, both very important roles. Yeah. Uh, and and to be honest with you, I've always been more of the leader. I, I can do management, but trying to make sure that all the books are audited properly or that uh, you know, managers tend to be in meetings and do things that, that are going to deaden my soul after a while. <laughs> so I can do them, but I'm, I'm really more wired to be a leader with the, the vision 
what's our message? What's our product? What, the big we, picture. Um, that's that really gets me going more. I, I say that to say that I think this topic is really important because uh, a leader will never accomplish his vision if he doesn't have good management taking place. Whether he does it or whether he hires people and lists people to do it, without good administration, the, even the greatest vision is not going to be accomplished. And so it, it sort of goes against my grain because I, yeah. I love talking about leadership, but I feel it is really important to say that many a, a good leader a visionary leader has had the wheels come off in their organization because they were so enamored with the vision that they never took time to make sure the process was in place so that they achieved the vision. Yeah, that's, So you have to have both. Yeah. And, and so I think it is important to talk about management because without management, leaders will never get to their destination. Yeah, so what are some ways that a, that a person could neglect management? Well, uh, there's lots of ways. It's, it, as soon as you lose attention to detail, you're in trouble. And by the way, it's kind of an interesting, it's sort of a strange um, illustration of this, but when you, when you think back to Stalin, I mean, we often don't want to talk about Joseph Stalin as an example of, of good management, but, but of course, after uh, Lenin died, there was a power vacuum. It was not clear. In fact, Lenin had said in his will it would be disastrous for Stalin to replace him, which hmm. ultimately he did. Stalin kind of hid that part of uh, Lenin's will. Lost at some point. But, uh, but the two great rivals to replace Lenin, one was Stalin, the other was Trotsky. Now, Trotsky was charismatic. He was the head of the army. Now, if you're in, if you're in charge of the Red Army and you are a larger-than-life leader, who's a great speaker, who has great charisma, and you lead the army, you would think that he would be the leading candidate to take over. For sure. Stalin is a bureaucrat. He's not a general. He doesn't command an army. He commands committees. He puts people on committees. He attends meetings. Uh, he keeps track of all the minutes and the minutia. And so you've got a bureaucrat coming up against an army general. Who would you think would, would win? Uh, no, no, Trotsky couldn't bother himself with a lot of the minutia, with a lot of the details. Stalin just very uh, steadily appointed his cronies into key positions, key committees, and all of a sudden he's winning all the votes, and all of a sudden votes are going against Trotsky. And eventually Trotsky realizes he's got to flee the country because he's lost this battle. Uh, good management, just very by attention to detail, actually uh, helped Stalin achieve uh, power over one of the greatest uh, countries, most powerful countries in the world. So certainly there is great power in um, uh, in management. And so some of the things that managers do, in particular, well, of course, one is they just they watch costs. They keep costs down. I've known leaders who had a great bit, maybe they had a, a tremendous product, a, a tremendous new service that they offered, but it, it never became profitable because they spent way too much money on a transportation costs or storage costs or manufacturing costs or the, the labor costs. Uh, they rented a facility that was way too expensive. Uh, some of the great business leaders, like uh, John Rockefeller, He'd walk around the, the, the office turning off lights in empty rooms. 
uh, he'd be walking the shop floor and asking questions about, is there a cheaper way to do that? Why are we using this material when we could use this material that's cheaper? And, uh, or we could put this factory uh, near a river or near a, a railroad uh, so that it would, we'd have cheaper transportation costs. Uh, if, if you can save yourself huge overhead costs, well, of course, you're going to make greater profits. You're going to have more revenue. Um, certainly, management watches productivity of staff. They don't tolerate underperformers. Sometimes a great leader, he just thinks that his amazing vision will just sweep everybody up into success. I'll just get up on this behind this podium and share this vision of how great our organization is going to be, uh, but I've got a bunch of second-rate performers that are not uh, getting results. And uh, some great leaders just tolerate underperformers because they, they've got the big picture in mind. But the, the reality is they don't have the right people in place to get the job done. That's a kind of a Jim Collins thing about get the right people on the bus, uh, and then then you can get somewhere. But right. if, you, if you have the wrong people on the bus, it doesn't matter how great your vision is, uh, you're not going to get there. And, I, I, and I've talked to various leaders who will say, I've got this guy in charge of this, I've uh, got this manager. Uh, I've had pastors say, I've, I've got this youth pastor, I've got this uh, associate pastor that basically is not getting the job done. But he's a nice guy. Uh, you know, he's been here a long time. He's uh, only five years away from retirement. And so we'll just tolerate his lack of performance for five more years or until his wife uh, has that baby or, uh, or whatever. Uh, and, and so before very long, you've got major areas of your organization where you're paying good money in salary and benefits for someone who's not getting the job done. And uh, great managers, they don't just crack the whip all the time, but they, they, great managers see areas that are not performing, whether it's a program, whether it's a machine, whether it's a, a service you're contracting out with someone else. Uh, you know, you know that, um, Sam, just in the management you do in our organization, uh, you could have a lease with a photocopier, you could have a, a, a an agreement with a fulfillment company, uh, or someone or someone that hosts your websites or whatever else. And you, you, maybe you got that, uh, deal worked out five years ago and it, and boy, when, when they were negotiating for your business, they promised all kinds of things, and they were cutting edge, and they seemed so service-minded and customer-friendly. But five, six years later, their methodology is archaic. You're paying a bunch of extra money for less service than you could get for someone else who's more digitized and modernized. Uh, and but but you know we've had these we've been with these guys for a while, and and sometimes we just don't even bother to check back. Uh, I, yeah. I know as a leader, I would, I would uh, periodically I'd say, well, you know, we've been with that auditor for a long time. Uh, he seems like he keeps raising his rates. Do we, is there someone else who could give us the same service for less? Are we starting to be taken for granted? Uh, we, the, they seem like they never answer our calls when we have uh, an issue anymore. They used to be way more responsive, uh, do, do we need to maybe look around, see if there's someone else that's hungrier for our business? But there, there's just a number of ways where it's attention to detail. Looking yeah. at costs, looking at productivity. You know, one other thing uh, I found, and again, you, you find this a lot in churches, but not necessarily just there. But uh, I know some pastors that are just 
they're, they're great in terms of they love the Bible, they love God, they love people, but they're terrible administrators. And so one of the ways you can tell is that they don't answer their emails. Or they're really Which bad. that doesn't bother you at all. Oh, well, I tell you what, I, I have to take medication for <laughs> when I deal with people that uh, when you really need something and you, you need an answer and you send an email and then they're just disorganized. They just don't get around to it. And you, you leave a phone message and they don't call you back. And I'm not talking about chit-chat messages. I'm talking about, hey, we're at a standstill until we know if you want it this way or that way. Do you want us to book this flight or whatever? And what happens, I've seen this happen a number of times, where a pastor just says, well, I'm just terrible at answering emails, or I'll, I'll get to it eventually. But I, I know guys who have literally have a thousand emails in their inbox, and they don't ever file it. They don't ever delete them. They just keep a thousands of emails in their inbox that to me that's a psychological issue that needs to be addressed but uh, but so then what happens is for instance what if a what if a, a, a congregant is upset about something in the church and he emails the pastor and says i i'm just really concerned about this but he doesn't get an answer back well, what, what's the guy going to do he, he's going to start talking to people who will talk to him about it yeah. and before long there's now there's a group of people that are upset about this issue and, and the guy, is he, he left a phone message with the pastor and suggested having lunch, but the pastor uh, just hasn't gotten back to him yet, and so the person keeps complaining to other people. Eventually, there's a fire uh, breaking out in the church membership of people that are now quite disgruntled with the pastor and his performance. And eventually, when the pastor realizes that a, a large number of his people are, are upset with him and questioning his ability to lead, the same pastor then will say, boy... I'm really dealing with a lot of spiritual warfare right now. Uh, boy, Satan's really attacking in our church. And what I tell people is, you are, you are blaming Satan for your bad leadership. Hmm. That, that's not Satan. Satan doesn't have to do a thing. Why would Satan waste one of his bullets on you? He just has to sit back and let you self-destruct with your poor management ability. Hmm. Uh, he doesn't even need to intervene. Just let you not answer emails, not respond to issues, not put out fires when, they, when they're still just a small flame. But if you won't address a, a small fire, that fire is only tend to grow. And so when just some wise words of advice I found as a manager, the moment that there's a flame, the moment you sense fire has started somewhere, the sooner you get on it, the less investment that's going to take on your part to put out. But every day, every week that you say, I know I've got this disgruntled uh, staff person. I know this person's really been, uh, just seems to be in a really bad mood lately. They've really been firing off some caustic emails lately. Well, I'm, I'm going on vacation for a couple of weeks, and then I've, I've got a couple of business trips. But I'm, eventually, I'm going to have to talk to him. Well, about two months later, now there's a dozen people that he has soured uh, yeah. That has he has uh, permeated your your organization with all kinds of negative talk. Now you've got a major insurrection on your hands. So if I could just tell manager one uh, of the the most important pieces of management advice is get on fires right away. Put yeah. them out quickly. Don't delay. Uh, I remember one time uh, when I was a pastor getting a note from uh, a disgruntled church member. He left it for me on a Sunday. Uh, so after I've preached my heart out, ministered all morning, then my reward is to get a, a note left for me uh, telling me what a bad job I'm doing. And the, the reality was, I could tell by the letter that this guy, I mean, I knew the guy well. I had I'd ministered to him. I had loved him, cared for him. But 
he was just a little out of sorts and he just needed some attention. So I went home. I had lunch with my family first and then I went into a, my bedroom and got on the phone and called the man and, and as soon as uh, he heard my voice, the next, his, I'll never forget, his next comment was, I knew you would call. And I thought to myself, I'm really glad he knew I was going to call because people in my organization know that if there's going to be pr- a trouble, uh, they're going to hear from me. Hmm. And not, not so I can ambush them or get all defensive, but I just said, well, of course you heard from me. You, from, the, from your letter, I take it that you've got a problem. And if my people have a problem, I want to get it solved. I want to deal with it. And so by the time we finished the phone call, he acknowledged that he'd overstated the case, that it wasn't really as bad as he thought, but he needed a little attention from me and a listening ear and some uh, affirmation that I appreciated him and what he was doing, and all was fine. And we were friends uh, ever after that. But if I had let it go, if I'd ignored it, if I got defensive, if I just said, I'm not going to tolerate or waste my time with petty little grievances like this, uh, what starts out as a petty grievance can become an outright rebellion if you don't get on it quickly. And yeah. so good managers keep an eye on that. And uh, and so they don't have to put out forest fires because they've been putting out just little small flames here and there before it ever gets very big. Well, that's great. Well, let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll talk about ways that you can improve your management if if that's not something that you're naturally gifted at. Richard and his father, Henry, wrote a book called Spiritual Leadership. This book has been used in university leadership courses, and it's a great resource for anyone who wants to take their leadership to the next level. And right now, you can get 10% off with promo code PODCAST. Go to blackabystore.org and use promo code PODCAST at checkout for 10% off your copy of Spiritual Leadership. And we'll also have links to the book in the show notes. Richard, any other thoughts before we move on to the solution for those who maybe don't naturally have management skills? Yeah, uh, Sam, there's, there's a lot of things I could say. But one other I just would, would point out is even if you are the leader, that doesn't mean that you don't ever dabble in administration. Or you, or you uh, well, Two things, if you're the leader, you need to do. One is you, you can never completely delegate all oversight to someone else. Yeah. Ultimately, you have to be checking the financials. You may not be down into all the minutia as much as your VP of uh, finance, but uh, but you need to be checking the bottom lines. You need to be occasionally auditing things. Uh, it was said of John Rockefeller that he could walk into the office and pull out a financial statement and within just moments catch even the smallest error. Now, he didn't do that all the time, but you never knew when he would just drop in just to check on things. And so you, you have to, ultimately, you are responsible. If, uh, if your organization is not being administered well, as the leader, that's your fault uh, because you didn't keep an eye on it or you didn't hire trustworthy, competent people to keep an eye on it. Uh, but one other thing, too, I just would encourage people to do, and that is even if you're the, at the very top of your organization, keep a, an active eye on uh, placing people in positions. I'll tell you, I'll give you an example. I've, I've talked with some pastors who they just want to be preaching. They, they want to lead the church forward, but they don't want to get bogged down in a lot of administration. They don't want to sit in all the meetings. But, but one area you do want to be involved in, and that is placing people. And so, for instance, a lot of churches will have a, a nominating committee that uh, nominates people to various jobs. 
uh, I always went to that meeting as a pastor because I didn't want the wrong people serving in important places. And so, for instance, if I have someone who I feel like is just really into power and control and just wants to serve with the wrong motives, I don't want them running the finance committee. I don't want them determining the budget or maybe the personnel committee that they want to be in charge. And so they want to be on a personnel committee to to boss around the church staff. Uh, For instance, um, I knew, I remember one time, the nominating committee needed to put someone on the finance committee, but I happened to know the person they were looking at did not give money, did not tithe, gave very, very to, to no money to the church. Now, I knew that, but the, the, the nominating committee didn't know that. And so I just thought, I, I want to be careful with that. And it wasn't that I was trying to put my own you know, DS men on those committees. I just wanted positive, skilled, competent, thinking people that we're not not trying to run a committee for their own prestige, but because they're serving the Lord and they wanted what was best for the church. But what happens a lot of times is pastors or leaders will just neglect that. Just, well, just you worry about that. Just put people on there. And then all of a sudden, the pastor has a vision of where the church could go. But all of a sudden, he finds he's got a bunch of very conservative, faithless people who don't want to walk by faith running the finances. And then all their vision comes to naught because they've got the wrong people serving down line on those committees. Uh, And so I would say to pastors, you can't afford to neglect that kind of thing. For instance, pastors will have a vision for reaching the whole community for Christ, but but they've got some carnal people on their deacon board or their elder board, and they let some people get into leadership roles. And it, and it will cost you to do that. And so I'm always telling pastors, you may be the leader of the of the church at, at the top, if you will, but you keep a watchful eye on who's filling the lower leadership roles because that will come back to bite you. Mm. And uh, all of a sudden, I've had many, many pastors especially just bewildered by the fact that when they tried to do the right thing in the church, that all these uh, smaller people wanting to control, dealing with their own issues, uh, said no and, and shut down the vision. Uh, so many a great vision has been lost because leaders were not aware of placing the proper people all the way down line so that all the, the supportive functions in the organization could back up the vision. But uh, to just say one or two things uh, in terms of how to deal with that, one is discipline yourself to, to check on important things. And that doesn't mean you're doing it every day, but you check those financial statements. I would do that uh, every month when a monthly financial statement came out at our seminary. I checked all the lines, making sure that there was no excessive expenditures. If there was something out of the ordinary, I would ask, well, now what was this? Why did we spend this? Why are we so over budget here? But, but secondly, I would, I would also just hire competent people that I trusted that would tell me the truth, uh, that I knew were diligent, that didn't make excuses for their sloppy work. And you surround yourself with people that you trust, and you put those people over the key areas of your organization so that uh, you, you're not being surprised, you're not being disappointed. Uh, I'd also just say sometimes we just have to organize ourselves. For instance, if you're terrible at answering emails, well, you can get better. That's yeah. just a discipline. That, that's and a learned skill. It is. And it may be that what you say is, um, well, I'll uh, 
okay, I hate answering emails, but, and this is what I tell people, this is what I do. I mean, I'm obsessive about emails. When I, yeah. when I go to bed at night, <laughs> there's, no, there's no email in my in basket. I think I, I think I emailed you this morning at like 6 a.m. and I think I had a response in like five minutes. I know, and I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm disappointed it took five minutes. To get that. Well, I think I was in the middle of something else when you oh, emailed, yeah, so sure. that was, it took me a moment, but I'm uh, sorry I didn't get back to you faster. Yeah, I, well, I'll, you know. I'll work on that. Thanks. Uh, but um, yeah, I, but for instance, when I see emails, the first thing I do is if, if I have been in a meeting or I've been you know, recording a podcast or something, first thing I'll do is I'll sit back down from my laptop. Oh, there's 12 emails that have come in while I've been preoccupied. Well, these three are all junk. So first thing, I unsubscribe from them if I can so that they don't send me junk again. And then I delete them all. And I delete everything that is uh, not necessary for a response. And here's a couple of emails. It's just information, but it's nothing I need to respond to. So let me just file those so that I can look those up if I need them. Well, now I'm down to just about three or four emails that actually need a response. I, I can knock most responses off. I, you don't have to be wordy. You just give the information. You don't have to chit-chat. Just say, yes, I'll be there too. You know, I'll make sure you bring this. Or, yes, okay, I can meet you at that restaurant. Sounds great. See you then. Uh, and before you know it, I mean, in, in one, two minutes, you could have already answered four emails. And now, now you filed it, uh, delete it. Now you've answered it, so you can delete it. And the next thing you know, there, there you are. You've just knocked off 12 emails in, its, in three minutes. Uh, and now you can get on with other things. But uh, it bothers me that if I've got staff that, are, that they're not going to book my flight until I approve that flight or... I, they're not going to tell people I can speak at that event until I tell them, yes, I'm, I, I, let's do that. So I'm holding up good people in my organization while they wait for a response. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't want people in my organization unable to do their job because of me. And so communication is huge for uh, keeping an organization flowing. And so I never want to be the bottleneck where everybody's – on hold until they hear back from the boss. And so uh, that, that's a discipline. You just discipline yourself. So maybe you say, okay, I don't want to be on my emails all the time. But uh, you know what? From 10 to 10.30 every morning, I'm going to just stop and just wade through the emails. And at 2.30 or maybe at the end of the day from 3.30 to 4 or something like that, I'm going to stop and just make sure things are answered, at least the important things, the things that need an answer. So that maybe I, I won't answer you within five minutes, but you know that before the day is done, if, if there's something important you need to know from me, you're going to hear back. Yeah. Uh, there, there, there's software programs, there's, pl- there's planners, there's reminders, there's all kinds of things you can use nowadays, all kinds of yeah. tools to organize yourself better, to help oversee things. And so there's, there's just really no excuse. And, and certainly if you have an, an administrative assistant, you can give them, you, they can be invaluable to you in reminding you of things that need to be done. Remember, you got this appointment. Uh, I've, done, I've gotten the, the files. I've gotten the minutes for you so you're prepared. I've highlighted things for you to save you time. Uh, there's, there's lots of ways if you will use the resources available to you. If you've got the budget to hire a good assistant, to buy good software, uh, to sit down with your calendar, and especially when you see areas that you're, you continually struggle in, if, people are, if you're constantly getting people complaining because they didn't hear from you in time, uh, then you can address that. And, and lastly, you can get a leadership coach to help you with those issues uh, to make you better. Our ministry, of course, has a leadership coaching service uh, where you can enlist a coach just to, 
zero in with you on a particular leadership issue that you struggle with, if mm-hmm. it's time management, if it's uh, communication, your organization will suffer if you don't become good at managing the people, the finances, the programs you're responsible for. And there's always a means to improve. There's always tools to help you with that. So just don't settle for that. Don't ever shrug your shoulders and say, I've just always been terrible at answering yeah. messages. I'm and a visionary. Back. Yeah, I'm, 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 my head's in the clouds. I don't have time to like tell people what they need to know so they can do their job. Uh, you, you will do that at your peril. Uh, you, you will never accomplish your vision if you're not making sure downline people are freed to get their job done and to do it well. Well, those are great words of warning, but also encouragement. And, and just as you said it a few minutes ago, I was writing it down, communication. That, that's sort of the, the word that keeps coming back to me uh, mm. when it comes to these sort of things. And thank you again. And uh, until next time. All right. Just a quick reminder that our next book that we're going to review is called The Effective Executive by Peter Drucker. If you haven't read it, we highly recommend that you read it or at least skim the pages. And so you be ready for us at our next podcast when we'll discuss The Effective Executive. We'll also leave links for the book in the show notes. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, review us on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. If you have questions or comments, please email us at podcast at blackbee.org.